Our scripture reading this morning comes from the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, before we really get going this morning, for those of you playing church bingo either here or at home, this would be a good time to mark off the space. Associate pastor preaches the Sunday after a major holiday. Uh, It's almost a a free space at this point on the bingo cards. But uh, anyway, all snark aside, uh, I'm genuinely excited to be preaching this morning because if you're tuning in late, uh, this is the first Sunday in Advent. And, And if you didn't grow up in the church, Advent is this season leading into Christmas, where we focus on themes that have already come up this morning, themes like light in the midst of darkness, and and peace in the midst of chaos, longing in the midst of unrealized dreams, and and as we'll discuss today, as we did with the candle, hope, and specifically hope in the midst of exile. And and again, you got to know that Advent is, is my favorite season in the life of the church. And for so many reasons. I mean, first, just from like a purely logistical timing perspective, as, as the winter days are getting shorter and darker and as the temps get colder, entering into a season in the church where we're focusing our hearts and minds on the coming of light and, and the warmth of God's love and an end to this bitter season is exactly what my soul needs. But then I, I also appreciate Advent because even though, you know, on the one hand, it really is a retelling of Scripture's story, as we reflect on what it meant for God to come into our world in human flesh, bringing life, bringing hope, bringing salvation. At the same time, we recognize Advent isn't simply a remembering or a looking back. It's also a reminder of what we're looking forward to. Because 2,000 years later, we still find ourselves in the depths of uncertainty and even despair, and we need to be reminded that we do have hope for the future, for the day 
when God in Christ will come again to our world, fully realizing and implementing the victory that he accomplished on the cross. And, and then finally, I appreciate Advent because I think it really helps us put language to our longings, no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in today. And I'm sure some of us might be fairly content with our present situation, yet I know that all of us, I mean, especially in the midst of a pandemic where yet another variant has us wondering when we're ever going to get out of this dark season. I think we all long for better days. And Advent is precisely the season for voicing that longing. A season that's unafraid to name the ways our current reality isn't all that we hoped it would be. And yet it's also a season that doesn't lose hope in that darkness and uncertainty, but rather it clings to hope, it claims it, And it shares that hope with a world that desperately needs it. And so as we turn our focus now to today's text from Jeremiah 29, I'm sure as Dave was reading that your your attention was immediately drawn to verse 11. It's easily the most famous verse in the book of Jeremiah. It probably would even make the Bible's top 10. And you know the verse I'm referring to. It's, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And obviously, this, this verse offers some strong notes of Advent hope. Uh, and we'll come back to that. But, but I want to make sure that we're really hearing that verse of promise and hope in its context. Because, you know, 11, verse 11, it looks great on the coffee mug, but it loses a little bit of its luster, maybe, when we take it in context. It's, it's not just a generic promise of hope. You see, you know, I think we can take some universal hope from it, but we need to understand who Jeremiah's audience was, what situation they were in, why they needed to hear those words. Because they were in this situation where Jerusalem had fallen, 587 B.C., to Babylon. And from there, Israel was taken into captivity. They'd been removed from their homeland. And so Jeremiah was writing to God's people in that place of exile as strangers in a strange land. Just a brutal situation. From their perspective, it couldn't get any worse. They were utterly devastated. They were flirting with hopelessness. They desperately needed God to come and fix things, to save them from their exile, to restore their fortune. And and even though we're not singing it this morning, the, the perfect Advent hymn that expresses what Jeremiah is getting at here is, O come, O come, Emmanuel. I mean, the, the lyrics that start the hymn say, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. That is the exact situation that Jeremiah is speaking to in this chapter. And in that place of hopelessness, there were competing prophetic voices. You heard it alluded to there. If we would have gone one chapter earlier, chapter 28 of Jeremiah, You'd read about the prophet Hananiah. And Hananiah was promising Israel that in just two short years, God would break Babylon and the people would return home from exile. Hananiah was saying, look, I know this is hard, but just hang on for a little bit longer because a turn for the better is right around the corner. God is going to fix this. It's not going to be long. And that's exactly what Israel wanted to hear. I mean, if you are in their shoes, Hananiah is your guy. Not Jeremiah. Now, why? Because in verse 10 of of Jeremiah's chapter 29, uh, what Dave just read, one verse before that famous promise, Jeremiah tells the people 
that they're going to be in this place of captivity and exile for another 70 years. 77 Zero. Now, now, there's some debate among scholars, was Jeremiah meaning a literal 70 years, saying that the exile would end exactly 70 years from that point, or was he referring more generically to kind of the span of a human life, because 70 years is viewed as the span of a life in those days. Um, either way, the, the point's virtually the same. Jeremiah is saying, don't expect to see an end to this exile in your lifetime. And so on the one hand, you have the prophet Hananiah giving hope to the people that they would wake up from this nightmare in short order. And then on the other hand, you have Jeremiah in effect saying, listen, guys like Hananiah are trying to deceive you and give you false hope. Settle in because you're going to be in this place for the rest of your life and your children's lives too. Not exactly the comforting message that we may have had in mind when we hear the words, I know the plans I have for you, plans for a hope and a future. That doesn't feel like a hope and a future to Israel. There's a reason Jeremiah 29.10 doesn't get the fancy Instagram posts or the Hobby Lobby decor. No one wants to be told that the really bad situation they find themselves in is likely to be their lot in life for the rest of their days. It's demoralizing. And on that, I have to wonder how many of us can relate to the painful experience of exile. I mean, how many of us are as far as can be from the life that we've always wanted? How many of us find ourselves ready to throw in the towel on God, on life, on a future containing hope? I mean, maybe you're in the exile of a lost relationship, whether through a falling out, divorce, death or even just distance and and there's this feeling that you're adrift with no one to hold the joy and pain of life with you or maybe it's the exile of a lost job or or some other financial struggle that makes you wonder if you're ever going to get out of it or get your head above water maybe it's just the exile of the grind trying to survive a global pandemic and a toxic political landscape that just has you feeling at the end of your rope I mean, no matter the particulars of your experience or mine, I think we all have seasons where we intuitively know what it means to be in exile. And here's the thing. When we're in exile, like Israel, we want more than anything else to know that it's going to end, that this isn't all there is. And we'd love to know the timing too, right? I mean, when is this all going to change? When's the exile going to end? When are my fortunes going to be restored? We want that to come sooner than later, obviously, and we want to experience Hananiah's promise. Nobody wants to sit in exile longer than they have to. And again, on that front, unfortunately, Jeremiah offers no assurances, but, but I think that taken as a whole, today's passage does offer not only some helpful insights into how we can live in exile, but how we can hold on to hope and not lose sight of what there might be to gain from seasons of exile. Now, again, before I go further here, remember why Israel was in exile in the first place. I mean, yes, from a historical perspective, it was because they were conquered by Babylon. But in multiple places, Scripture reveals the theological reason for their exile, and that reason was far more significant. The hard truth was that their exile was a direct result of their lack of faithfulness to God. 
It was the result of their inability to embrace and embody their vocation as the people of God in this world. They're calling to be salt and light. And for that reason, God couldn't simply snatch them out of exile immediately. God needed to let them experience the weight of their unfaithfulness. And while God's grace is always extended in there for us, it's not simply a get-out-of-jail-free card for any and all consequences that our sin might hold. I mean, God knew that the pain and loss of exile had to work its way through Israel, shaping them into a people who were better equipped in the future to faithfully embrace their calling as God's ambassadors. Now, a few things to note there. I, I'm not, hear this, I'm not saying that every experience of exile in our lives is because we've sinned or that we've otherwise been unfaithful. Please hear me on that. I mean, great damage can be done when we take the truth of a specific situation and all of a sudden make it a universal truth for every person in every place. There are plenty of literal and metaphorical exile experiences that simply result from living in a broken world. I mean, one need look no further than the refugee crises in our world today to recognize that often their experience of exile is the result of oppression, persecution, a host of other devastating circumstances not of their own making. So in highlighting that Israel's exile was a result of their infidelity and their sin, I'm not saying that's the case of every experience of exile, including your own. But, and I don't think I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth when I say this, we do need to recognize that there are many times when we experience an exile of our own making. And I say that not to shame any one of us, but rather to simply state a truth. There are times when the roots of our exile can be traced directly back to something that we chose to do or not to do. And it's almost universally true that none of us likes to experience the weight of the consequences of that, right? I mean, like Israel, we want God to bail us out. Yesterday, we don't want to bear the brunt of our own sin. And yet, quite often, we'd never learn the necessary lessons without it. I mean, as a parent, I know this to be true. There's a very real temptation to bail out my kids any time I see them make a foolish decision and experience painful consequences from that. I mean, I hate, I hate seeing my kids in pain. There's almost nothing worse. And yet, I've come to recognize that, that helicopter parenting doesn't help my kids. Swooping in to mitigate any possible pain doesn't equip them to grow. It doesn't help them learn from their mistakes and become healthier versions of themselves. Rather, that kind of posture as a parent can be more destructive because it makes it easier for my kids to repeat the same damaging mistakes time and time again when there's little to no consequence. It's so difficult for lessons to be learned, and meaningful growth is almost always stunted. And I believe that same thing to be true of God when he allows us at times to experience the consequences of our sin. And I want to be here, clear here as well. God might allow us to experience the temporary consequences of our sin, but the cross tells us the eternal consequences of our sin have already been wiped away. Rather, in the specifics, God's intent at times in letting us experience the pain of exile an experience that can feel like punishment is, in fact, never intended by God to inflict pain. It's not punitive. That's not what God's getting at. He's not trying to cause pain or retribution. God isn't getting back at you in a place of exile. That's not who God is. That's not how God's, God works. I want to be clear there. Instead, God's justice, God, 
allowing me, allowing you, allowing us to at times experience the weight of our brokenness. God allowing us to experience the pain of exile is always intended to be restorative. Always. Punishment's not the goal. Restoration is the goal. Shalom, everything being made right and as God intended it to be, that's the goal. But as we see in Jeremiah, the painful truth is that sometimes the road of exile is the only way we get there. And again, while I want to be careful to say that the ins and outs of Israel's experience of exile aren't universal, we we can't impose those on every experience of exile, I do think there are some elements from Jeremiah 29 that are universal, that can offer some insight into how we live in seasons of exile. And so I want to turn to those with the time that we have left. And first, we have to just look at the overall message of this passage. What Jeremiah is getting at with Israel is saying that in this season, they have to let go of hoping for a quick end to the exile and instead embrace day-to-day living in the midst of it. I mean, Jeremiah says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. That all sounds really mundane, doesn't it? I mean, it's the everyday stuff of life. Jeremiah is saying, stop fighting it. Don't put your life on hold waiting for rescue. Instead, live your life here and now. And again, to beat a dead horse, that's not the message they wanted to hear. When you're in a miserable set of circumstance, the last thing you want to hear is just settle in and get comfy because you're going to be here for a while. But Jeremiah is also saying so much more than just live your life in that space. Listen to the next portion. Jeremiah says, increase in number there. Do not decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Now, Jeremiah's audience would have heard echoes of some really familiar commands and promises in Scripture in what he just said there. First, that call to increase in number. And that goes all the way back to the very first command that God gives humanity. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, the first task God gives us is to be fruitful and multiply in number. And that command continues on to Abraham and to Israel as a whole. So Jeremiah is saying here, just because you're in exile doesn't mean you can't exercise your divine calling. Doesn't mean life is over. Rather, life can grow and multiply even here. God still wants that for you. It's still possible. There's more. As I mentioned, Jeremiah also urged the people to seek the peace, the shalom, and prosperity of the city to where God had carried them in exile. Do you remember God's promise to Abraham when God first made a covenant with him? In Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's plan was always to bless the entire world through his people. And so might Jeremiah be reminding them that even here, even in exile, God's people can still be a source of blessing, even to their enemies. I've seen one of the the great truths of Advent is that even in the darkness, we can still exercise faithfulness. We can still embody our vocation as God's people. We can still be a blessing in this world. In fact, I'd argue that it's in the darkness where our most effective witness will be found. It's where our light can shine brightest. And and that's where this text fits so well 
within the spirit of Advent. Uh, Eugene Peterson's message translation of Jesus' words in Matthew 5 capture this perfectly. In, in it, Jesus says, you, meaning you and me, us, the people of God, you are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. And Jeremiah is saying, sometimes the place God puts that light is to shine brightest in the darkness, in exile. And I get in that place, it's challenging to live as the light. But if God, by God's spirit, we can learn to be faithful in the seasons of exile, then God will have formed in us the ability to be faithful in all seasons of life. And so as we close, I want to return now to those, those famous words from Jeremiah 29. Because in them, I believe, we'll find the fuel to stay faithful in exile, just as Jeremiah hoped Israel would have. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And that's a hard one promise when we take it in context. It's not easy. It's not going to be quick. The road will be difficult, but God wants his people to know that even though what lies ahead may be draining, Babylon doesn't get the last word, darkness doesn't get the last word, exile will not be forever, even though it might feel that way, God gets the last word. God will make a way. God will restore the fortunes of his people. In Jesus, God did it 2,000 years ago at that first Christmas, and our hope this Advent season is in God's promise to do it again for us. The psalmist reminds us that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As we've confessed in the church from the very beginning, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Our hope will be found nowhere else and in no one else. Jesus is the hope Advent draws us to. And so, sisters and brothers, as we long for an end to our own experience of exile, as we express our hope this Advent for Christ's return. May we also embrace our calling as an exiled people to exhibit faithfulness. May we live as light bearers in a dark world. And may we offer to others the same blessed hope in Christ that we cling to ourselves. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.